With me, Richard Innes. And me, Steve Myers. In this episode, we caught up with Esther Wojcicki, who is called the godmother of Silicon Valley. And she's written a book about successful parenting called How to Raise Successful People. Esther, hi. Thank you so much for coming in. Very, very glad to have you here um, yeah. and get and hopefully give us some um, some insight and some expertise and some help, frankly. You've come a long way. Where have you, where have you come from? Well, actually, I came from San Francisco. Well, there you go. That's the longest journey for the podcast, I think. That is, actually. You definitely win a prize for uh, for the biggest effort to be here in, oh. a, in our little studio. So thank you very much indeed. Um, so uh, as, as Steve and I ha- have just mentioned, Esther is a, lo- a long-time educator. And I think you've just described yourself off air there is an educational maverick that's correct (laughs) (laughs) which you should definitely have on a business card of some description i think that's uh that's a lovely job title to give yourself yeah actually i think i'm gonna make myself some cards that say educational maverick that's exactly what i am (laughs) but you're you're mum of three girls yes um who are grown up and uh very successful Yes, I'm very happy to say that. Good. Yes. That's an understatement as well. Yeah, that would is. You, would you mind explaining to us what your what your three daughters do for living for a living? Because it is quite remarkable. Oh yeah. So the oldest one's Susan. The second one is Janet, and the third one is Anne. By the way, I should just tell you they were very normal little girls. Okay. Good. Good start. Uh, yep. Yeah. Good start. <laughs> <laughs> um, so today, Susan is the CEO of YouTube. Wow. And um, yes, I'm very proud of her. And Janet is a professor of pediatrics at the University of California, San Francisco, which she focuses on the diet and the impact of nutrition on children okay. and family. And then the third one is Anne. And Anne is the founder and CEO of 23andMe, the personal genetics company. Oh, wow. So okay. they're all kind of um, out there doing exciting They've things. all moved out and they're all doing well. Then, <laughs> yeah, yeah, none of them living at home. They're all <laughs> off the payroll. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, that's the dream, isn't it? I think, you know... Yeah, and we can see now why the title of your book is How to Raise Successful People and why, and why that appeals to people like Steve and I because obviously our, our kids are, are all kind of coming to that age, I suppose, where you can, you can start to have that interaction with them and start to have that communication and you'll start to, bec- you, I, I'm sure Steve would agree, become very aware that they're picking up on your cues and they're picking things up from yeah. you and actually they are starting to learn. Um, even at the, my boy's only just two and I can see there are certain things I'm doing both good and bad you know there are certain things I'm doing I think oh god I wish you hadn't seen that I wish you hadn't heard me say that so um, from from the perspective because <laughs> I know obviously you you kind of cover a wide range of education all the way up to sort of senior school and, and have done various talks and written various books and all sorts of things but from the perspective where Steve and I are at at that kind of preschool toddler level what would be what, what's your kind of message to parents of kids of, our, of of that sort of age in terms of what we should and shouldn't be doing in terms of that teaching element? Well, so if we're starting at zero, mm. yeah, I think where you are, um, one of the first things you should do, of course, is be very affectionate. You know, mm. you want to bond with your child, and uh, that means hugging and you know snuggling with your child, and um, just like you were saying earlier, it's kind of funny how they copy you Mm. so they do i just want to warn you (laughs) (laughs) so whatever it is that you're doing and of next day if you see your child doing it don't be surprised because they do what you do not what you say it's true that's very important for everyone to know so whatever Mm. behavior you're modeling 
That's what they're going to do. See, so we have shout at them. Well, that's it. That's they're going to shout back at you. That's uh, If you shout at them, they're going to shout back at you. And I, I'm having this problem at the moment where my son, being two, there's an element where you think, okay, two-year-olds have temper tantrums, right? That's a fact of life. Right. So it's how you cope with those. But then there are times when he's so angry and I keep thinking, and I do have an issue maybe where I get frustrated with him too quickly. I have quite a short fuse myself. Exactly. My, I was going to say, do yeah, men in their late 30s have temper tantrums? <laughs> yeah. Well, my, my wife does point out occasionally that she's soon going to have three small boys to deal with. She'll have two boys and, and me because we're all having temper tantrums of, uh, of some sort or other. Um, but it, it, it does worry me that I see, when I see him getting particularly angry about something and really losing his marbles and being completely irrational, as two-year-olds will be. Yes, and then I get frustrated and I sometimes and I think, God, is he getting this from me? How much of this is just him pushing the boundaries and all the things you'd expect a two year old to do? And how much of this is him real you know, when he's been sat in the back of the car and I've been shouting at someone because they've cut me up in on the road or whatever it might be, how much is natural and how much has he got from me in that negative sense? So, um, it's important for you, like I said, to realize that you're maybe your child's first teacher. Mm. And you're doing it, it's really important for you to know that you're doing it by modeling. Mm. And so all the parents out there, it's very important for them to know that. Yeah. It's hard for you to tell your child, you know, to stop doing something when in fact they see you doing it all the time. Because we're all hypocrites, right, as parents? Well, most uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're, no, we're, we're trying not we're to We're trying be. not to be. We're trying not to <laughs> but be. we... Yes, we want our children to be better than we are. Yes, that's usually what absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I think that's fundamental, isn't it? That's fundamental. Yeah. You want them to live a better life and mm. be better and happier and all these things. Mm. And so you need to realize that it's, you need to model some of the behaviors. So when they're having a temper tantrum, what you need to do is model calmness mm. because that's what you want them to do, don't you? When they're yeah, yeah, you don't yeah. want to don't buy into that temper tantrum. And start yelling yourself because that's not going to work, mm. and they're going to copy your behavior. And you have to suffer it to an extent, don't you? You have to you, because you're not. There's no magic fix. You can't. No matter how calm you are, you're not going to be able to click your and fingers. You can't and reason. You can't, you can't reason, reason with a two and three year old in the same way you can with an adult. Mm. Right. You can't reason with them, but you can try. Mm. So you can still try to say uh, be reasonable and be and because you're trying to set up a pattern of behavior. So how do we solve problems? Mm. And one of the problems, one of the ways we do that is by talking. And so you talk to them, and then if they scream or yell or whatever, <laughs> then you still continue talking. Mm-hmm. It's you're, You are setting the pattern. Mm-hmm. And the pattern you set between zero and five, it's like clay. Once it's molded, it's hard to unmold. Yeah. Right. Okay, yeah. so we're, we're... Those are the most important years. 85% of your brain capacity is developed in those years. No pressure then. <laughs> so I've got two Sorry, years left. No pressure. To, you still to, have two years exactly. left. Exactly. I've got two years left to undo what I've done and redo <laughs> it in a, in a better version of it. I'm now it's, feeling I need, to, yeah, I need to start from scratch. And here. his one-year-old sister's got four years, so she's going to she, – this is my second go at it. It's an interesting <laughs> idea that you have to be better, that you have to – because I think sometimes I do get pulled into it and I'm almost talking to Ben, that's my son, on, on a level when he's, when he's in that sort of mood. And actually, like you said, to the point of modelling, I suppose you do have you have to rise above it. You're the parent. You're not supposed to be getting down on that level and having an argument with him. It's meant to be. You know, it's it's a different sort of interaction. Remember, you're the leader. Yeah, not him. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Remind who's in charge in this yes, house. Yes, and you can be in charge politely. You mm. know, being in charge doesn't mean you have to be mean about it. Yeah. But you just have to be consistent. Don't say yes if they want you to say yes mm. just because they're having a fit. I do wonder how many parents actually do sometimes confuse being well-mannered towards your child with a sense of weakness in the sense that I, I will try to say to Ben, please and thank you, and, and I... I because, you know, to your point, modelling, you're trying to... So if I'm asking him to do something, I will say, please do that. And when yeah. he does it, I'll say thank you. And I do wonder sometimes if... Because it's, it has crossed my mind on occasion, incorrectly, that maybe that could be taken as a sign of weakness, that you're not kind of pre- presenting enough authority over them if you're asking them nicely, which I obviously is, is complete nonsense. But I do wonder if parents do sometimes struggle with that. I think parents might make that mistake. Mm. Yes, and they... No... That is modeling good behavior. Mm. And so that's part of this um, acronym I have in the book, TRIC. Mm -hmm. You know, the last part, TRIC stands for Trust, Respect, Independence, Collaboration, and Kindness. Kindness. Mm. You need to model kindness. And when you're saying please and thank you, you're modeling kindness. Mm. And you want to, if you want your kid to be kind, you have to model it. Mm, you mm. can't be a mean old guy or whatever. This is what my wife says. My wife says, you, you know, you need to be happier and more cheerful in front of the kids because they pick up on it and they see that that's, you know, maybe how they are going to then behave. Um, and it, I can I can see how that's that's definitely true because, it, you know, he, he te- takes the temperature of the house based on how his parents are behaving. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they... It's just subconscious. They're taking the temperature of the house, and then they reflect a lot of that stuff. Mm. You know, they're very smart. They're much Mm. smarter than you give them credit for. Just because they're lying there waiting for their diaper to be changed doesn't mean they aren't smart. Yeah. Well, and also uh, the the thing that we have is because my son goes to nursery is there's a there's the learned behavior at home, and then there's the learned behavior in in a nursery environment where he's learning behavior from other children who are learning their behavior from their parents. Right. So you look at other parents and think, oh, well, uh, that kid has learned something at home. Uh, and it may be from, uh, I don't know, from TV or something, that they a program that they watch or some behavior they've watched at home. They then bring that into a nursery environment and share it with your child, and you don't have any control over that, that behavior. That, no, you don't. But then what you're doing is training them for the world mm. because that's what's going to happen as they get older, yeah. more and more of that. So they bring that home and then you can talk about it. Mm. So you have to talk to them, not in baby talk, but you know, you need to talk to them and explain things. You know, they really can be very sensible. Mm. Also, one other thing, remember, the most effective age to learn another language is zero to five. You don't. Oh yes, you do not need no books necessary, no tapes, no watching anything. Just expose them to a second language. They learn it. Just they've got plasticity in the brain. It is incredible. So this is something that we say at home. My um, mother-in-law is a French teacher. Oh, uh, and she was was going to teach Jackson French. We keep joking with her. When's this? When the French lesson starting? When, when you? When are you going to start? Talking to him in French. How long? How old is Jack? Three. Now. There you go. If you're listening, Noel, if you're listening, you need to get cracking now. Yeah. All she has to do is speak to, to him in French. Too sweet, as they say. Uh, I think. Too yeah. sweet. <laughs> and it is. It is as simple as that exposure. So presumably, and you would expect them 
to begin to understand French in the same way that they began to understand English. That's Just right. You didn't. There was no special there was no, training there were no program lessons, for no, speaking quite. English, right? Yeah, yeah. Interesting how they learned to do it without any lessons. It they still does blow my same. mind. Actually, it really does blow my mind that, that because our, our, you know we're quite fortunate that our boy Ben um, it, it picked up talking very quickly, and, and he's proven to be you know very good at communicating in that sense. Um, and there are times where we will look at each other, my wife and I, say, "How on earth does he know that?" Where did he get that from? You know, there'll be a phrase or some sentence and you think, is that from nursery? It's a bit like Steve was saying, you know, you, it's that you kind of seed control, don't you? When, when you put your child out into the world That's and when you right. leave them alone at a nursery or a primary school or whatever it might be, or a play group. And um, when they come back and they have something and you don't know where it's come from, it's almost a little bit scary initially because you think, God, that, that they're now actually capable of picking all these things up by themselves. And I, I remember oh, yeah. the first time I saw my son when he was about 18 months, there's a song called Sleeping Bunnies where they sing oh, yeah. and the kids lie down little bunnies. And, they, and then they yeah. jump up and they hop and it was something we'd ne- I'd never come across before. And suddenly you're watching him and he's doing it and you're like, oh my goodness, you've like learned all this. I don't know any, where have you picked this up from? How do, how do you know this? <laughs> Yes, they pick up a lot from their friends and from school and nursery school. And, mm. you know, it's it's great. But then hopefully they're picking up things that you like because sometimes well, they pick up little things that you might not like. It's mm. interesting you should say that because just the other day, my wife and I were sitting there and we were having some dinner with Ben and we were asking him about his friends at nursery and suddenly he came out with this line, girls are stupid. And we were both, like, you know, genuine intake of breath because you think this is a two-year-old. And I was genuinely horrified, as was my wife. And, of course, and it's difficult to know exactly how to deal with it because, on the one hand, I'm very aware that you don't want to uh, sort of endorse any negativity by focusing on it too much. Right. And I've often been a subscriber to that idea that you really ham up anything positive. You make a big thing of anything he does that's positive and really congratulate him and talk about it. And, all, and whereas anything negative, you try to sort of move past. But at the same time, you can't let something like that go. So we did try and have a conversation with him about it. Now, where did you hear that? That's not true. You know, that's absolutely not true. And we had a, tried to have a long conversation with him about it. But obviously, with a two-year-old, that's quite tricky. So what would, <laughs> what would be... Because presumably, he's heard that from a kid at nursery who... We were trying to figure it out. Maybe he heard it from a kid at nursery who had heard it from an older sibling or, or something along those lines. But you, you do kind of think, well, how, what, how best to address that? Well, I think you started out the right way. You want to talk to him about mm. it. And then you want to, maybe he doesn't remember where where it came from, but I think then you want to give him some evidence that that's not true. You want to explain to him why this might be a mistake. And then also at the same time, you can say, you're learning a lot of things at Mm. school and you know, some of them are true and some of them are not. So how are you supposed to understand which is which and then give him some tools for trying to figure out Mm. what are some of the things that you should question? With something like that, I suspect it's a, it's said at nursery to get a reaction from yeah. the person that it's being said to without an understanding of what it means. Mm. Yeah, possibly, it possibly. So it's more of a kind of rep- repeated thing rather than actually any genu- genuine understanding of the concept, uh, hopefully. Yeah, that's, well, that's probably true. But yeah. still, you know, you want to explain to him that, you know, he, he's not too young to be able to think. Yeah, so we, so we try and... Because Jackson's got a younger sister... We're very keen for him not to make any uh, distinctions between what Iris can do or, and what he can do. That they can both do exactly the same thing. So Iris goes as a you know just over one year old to this 
something called ballet tots, which is basically like a music class, but it's not really ballet. <laughs> but Jackson is f- Jackson's never been, and he's fascinated by it. He asks if there's a ballet ballet tots class for big boys like him. He's desperate to go, <laughs> and he's got no concept that in you know traditionally you might say that the ones are female pursuit and one and rather than a, than a male pursuit. Mm. Um, and so we're very keen for him to, to continue you know along those lines. Yeah, well, he can do ballet for course tots as well. Yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. it's not against any kind of yeah. rules or anything. And I've noticed is when exciting. I, when I go when I go to watch football or soccer, um, and I bring back like things from the match, I make sure I bring back something for Iris as well as yeah. for Jackson, rather so it doesn't become daddy football me and Iris is somehow excluded from it. Uh huh. That's great that you're doing that. That's the way to do it. Just yeah, just because I I, I think you can sort of sleepwalk into mm. following those um, absolutely you know stereotypes if you're not careful. Right. Also, you know, with toys, you can do it. It's subconscious. Mm. If you buy just dolls for girls, mm. and you know, trucks for boys, mm. Mm. and so you have to be careful that you the toys that you're buying are. Mm. Not gender specific. Absolutely, yeah. we we actually had a um, an expert on on that subject um, a little while ago on the podcast. We did an entire episode around it, around that gender bias and how, as Steve said, you can just sleepwalk into it. You can have the best intentions, um, and I do sometimes wonder if I'm doing that with my boy. You kind of it, maybe phrases I use, what, words I use to describe him, or toys he's given, or whatever. And we're very keen to make sure that he is very understanding of the you know the importance. It doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl. But there are, as you said, there are certain things that you just do subconsciously, perhaps. Mm. So we got, so Jackson's really into, even though he's never watched any of the films, he's into the Avengers. So <laughs> Hulk and Captain America and Spider-Man. Um, so for Iris's birthday, I bought her a, um, a book of female superheroes. So Batgirl, <laughs> great. you know, yeah. Supergirl. And he loves it. And it's about, <laughs> it, you know, seeing that the the same, you know, same things happen, but you can't help but but see that, that those kinds of um, those toys are geared. They're they're, they're male geared, you know, because right. they're they're predominantly male superheroes. I know we've had you know there's been other examples of female, but it's difficult to pick your way through that that minefield. So it sounds like you're doing a lot as fathers. It's good. great. Good, good. Pat ourselves on the back, Rich. Good. Good. Sorted. But uh, but what they need to know is that it. They might see another message in the real world. Yeah. And so you have to give them the tools to decipher and be able to understand when they see a message in the real world that is not along those lines, that what do they think and how do they think about it? So how, it, how is the best way to approach that in terms of bearing in mind that the, the still you know, very young age of our boys in particular, what's the best way to approach that in how you communicate that to them? Well, I think, you know, just making them aware, talking about it and say, mm. so sometimes you'll see a message out there that like there isn't any Superman for girls, but I just want you to know that there really is. And maybe those people just don't know about it yet. Mm. And mm. perhaps there's something that you can do to help them know about it also. Um, but because in the real world, just look at magazines and newspapers and whatever, and the message is, it's still there loud and clear. You know, the girls have a defined role. Yeah, 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 and, you're, you're right. Uh, you're right, we see it every day, and especially in some, some of the media over here, about how, you know, just the language used to talk about women. That's right. Um, you know, so it's going to take a generation. At least. People, at least to understand that 
things are changing, have mm. changed. Esther, when you were bringing up your, th- your three girls, were there, I mean, they've obviously turned out, you know, very pleased, very successful. Were there any moments where you sort of saw a fork in the road and, and they could have gone one way and in fact they went the other way or there were particular choices that you had to kind of um, be, be sort of more a- attentive at that particular point in their lives? Well, I think, you know, all parents have their forks in the road all along the way. Mm. And one of the, I mean, just in developmentally, um, you know, there were issues like Susan turns out she's ambidextrous. Okay. So um, I thought that was a real gift. Yeah. Turns out that if you're ambidextrous, there's some problem with language coming in. Okay. And so I had to know that. Mm. Right. So when she was three, I was like, hmm, she doesn't seem to be speaking very clearly. Let's see, you know, what's going on. And um, here was Janet, who was, you know, 18 months younger, who seemed to be like, oh, things are really different with her. So we took her in for an evaluation to see what was going on. Turns out she had to pick a hand. She's like, no, Susan, you cannot eat with the right and the left hand, you know, at the same time. Nope, it's either right or left. Pick one. And so we did a few exercises. I mean, it took about six weeks of picking a dominant hand. Mm -hmm. And then it all fell into place. Mm. Wow. So, you know, there's an example, you know, of I could have gotten all freaked out. Yeah. Yeah. But I just like, well, you know, she, let's see what I can find out. Let's investigate. But it, that's, see that. that's a really good case study for people of kids of our age because it is amazing how much significance you put on what are t- actually quite trivial developmental matters that can be quite easily fixed because your daughter Susan is obviously hugely successful and has done extremely well, extraordinarily well in life. Uh, and yet, you know, there'll be, there'll be people who, if their child wasn't talking as they thought they should be at two and a half or three, will start to envisage all sorts of things. Oh, maybe they're not that bright, maybe they're not this, maybe they're not that. And you start to put way too much significance and importance on these matters when actually they're all things that can be Yeah, we did it with potty, with potty training because we tried Jackson when he was two and a half because it seemed that his peer group um, were successfully being potty trained. And he just didn't, he didn't, wasn't interested, didn't get it, could see that there was a little bit of stress rising and we just decided to stop and wait and it was the right thing to do because six months later he did it on his own. He didn't, he asked to come out of, nappies and and to use the potty and we thought to ourselves actually you know whether or not he becomes as you know whether how successfully becomes an adult is not going to have any bearing on whether he potty trained at two and a half or three (laughs) but because you are so bombarded with uh, you know uh, these developmental milestones and and what age and and you're constantly comparing yourself to Mm. or your child to other children of similar age the the, the natural thing to do is go well you know he's a bit slow he's still he's still in Still in nappies. Well, so you're right. Don't compare because they all are their own special schedule. Mm. And so it's, I've never seen anybody at a cocktail party say, when were you out of nappies? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe if they're still in them when they're 12, yeah. there might, be, might, some, some <laughs> might well, be some issues going on. Yes, I think, well, you know, I don't really know anybody that's still doing it at 12. <laughs> yeah, what's that line from that... Uh, that Baz Luhrmann song, the, the race is long, and in the end, the only person you're running against is yourself. Self, yeah. Well, that's, that's right. That's, that's, that's very insightful. That's a big thing. Wow. You know. Uh, <laughs> so I'm here for. Do, do you think then, from, from the work you've done, that perhaps developmental milestones can actually do more harm than good? Because that's certainly my personal opinion. I think developmental milestones 
can do a lot of harm, especially yeah. if you're sticking to those. Mm. I mean, they're guidelines. Mm. You know, if your child is having, you know, problems talking by the age of five, I think, you know, probably want to have them checked. Mm. But um, I think that people need to relax and they need to trust themselves and trust their child to be able to develop, men, develop the way that they are developing. You know, every they're all like, you know, little orchids and they bloom at different times. Mm-hmm. And you, it's your responsibility to nurture them mm-hmm. and um, not to compare them to the one next door mm-hmm. and not to, you know, be concerned because they're not following the pattern exactly according mm-hmm. to this chart. Mm. I do have to snap myself out of that mindset sometimes because, it, like Steve was saying before, it's so easy because you're so surrounded by it as a parent of a toddler or a, or a baby. You are so immersed in it right. that it's so easy to get pulled down that road. And it's re- and sometimes you do actually have to stop and remind yourself this doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And especially little boys, yeah. they develop at a very different rate. And it, wait till they go to school. Mm. And you'll see all the little girls are sitting there politely doing what the <laughs> teacher said. Mm. And the little boys are like throwing airplanes. Um, so, <laughs> hopefully, so it's just the airplanes. So, I've got a question. So, some friends of mine have just moved to the states, mm. um, and their daughter is uh, six. No, just turned seven actually. And, and it, it, it emerged that the compulsory school age in the states is a year later than it is in the UK. So, I think the compulsory school age in the states is six, and in the UK, it's five. Um, and it made me think or wonder why you know what what impact that has on a child you know when they start to learn or is it that the education system in the states has it you know more more learning in kindergarten before they go into the the school system what's your experience of that um esther well so in the states they start school at five but that's kindergarten okay and so in kindergarten they're supposed to play okay but now with everybody and all their competition kindergartens now they are really learning to read Okay. It's a little too stressful for kids, you know, okay. because they don't need to learn to read in kindergarten. Mm-hmm. What they need to learn to do is get along. Yeah. Social emotional skills. Okay. And so that's the number one thing. And the research said says that the number one predictor of success later on in life is the kindergarten social emotional skills training. Okay. So maybe they could cut out, you know, all the ABCs and one, two, three. Okay. And I mean, you can do it later. Yeah. Yeah. You can always learn that. Yeah. But what you can't learn, it's very hard to learn social emotional skills later on in life. Okay. So, yeah, interaction with other kids, you know, dealing with a bigger and older kid, you know, sharing that kind of stuff, it's, being it's, kind. That's right. It's really belief in yourself and how to get a, navigate the world. Mm. And that's what you're teaching them, you know, how to co- cooperate how to think independently, how to make, you know, talk to other kids without getting upset or mad. How to and cooperate, that'd be a good one. That's that's my focus <laughs> at the moment. Yeah. Cooperate, yeah. It's I've got to go to work. Cooperate with me, yeah. please. Yes. Cooperate, collaborate, be kind to other kids, mm-hmm. you know, um, respect other people's rights mm-hmm. and, um, and be able to trust them and trust yourself. Mm. That's so important for a kid to believe in themselves. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that they have problems is because if they don't, they're looking around and seeing what other kids are thinking all the time, and then they don't believe mm. and trust in themselves. Then they become, it's more difficult for them mm. to do things. I saw, I think it may have been someone we had on the podcast actually, 
who had written something about um, the idea of the importance of play and kids learning where the boundaries are themselves. And the example that was given there was something I'm often guilty of. You know, so if Ben's climbing up a climbing frame, and he's clearly capable of... T- sorry, hit our microphone. <laughs> he's clearly capable of doing it, climbing up this climbing frame, but I'll be almost there just behind him, just in case he falls. And the idea being that, okay, that's obviously a natural instinct as a parent, but what is more helpful to him is for him to learn those boundaries himself. So, yeah, he might fall... You know, obviously, if he's high up, you'd need to be careful, but he needs to learn that, yeah, actually, if you do that, you might fall over. Is that called helicopter parenting, when you're right on top of them yeah. all the other time? It is helicopter parenting, and actually, we have even a more improved version, or let's say a more direct version of this, called snowplow parenting. Okay. So the snowplow parent actually clears away for the kid, makes sure that uh, they're not going to fall, right? Yeah. And make sure that nothing bad is going to happen. So what they're doing is clearing the road for the child, yeah. As opposed. Yeah preparing the child for the road okay. and giving a child and a shovel that's right and so <laughs> yeah. it's very Im- it's impossible to clear the whole road no, for the exactly. child right yeah. Yeah. and yeah. so what you want to do is train your child to live in the way life is well exactly this morning jackson was climbing up on the double buggy while i was giving his sister and i knew what was going to happen because he's done it before and he pulled the, he got halfway up and the double buggy overbalanced and back he went and the buggy fell on top of him and he then cried out, and, and I was talking to my wife on the, when I dropped to a nursery, and she goes, well, he won't do that again, will he? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly That's right. exactly no, what you're saying. No, he will not do that again. <laughs> uh, and I think I said something similar to him. I've told you yeah. before not to do that, and if you do it, that's what will happen. Yeah. So you have to let, you know, life and consequences happen in some occasions. Within reason. Within reason. You, of course, don't want to let them jump into a swimming pool if they yeah. can't swim. Or just open the front or door and say, like, you go. run out the front door, <laughs> yeah. you know, into yeah. traffic. Yeah. But, you know, there are things where you can just let them learn on their own, especially in nursery school. Mm. That's what's supposed to be all about, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that's the busy, you know, he, Jackson's learning to ride a bike at the moment. Well, so learning to ride. He's got one of these balance bikes, which he just like... Oh, those are great. Which is supposed to be a much better way it to learn. It is much to better. And when I was a child, where you have the stabilizers yeah, yeah, put yeah. on the back of the bike, and, and then, then suddenly they just take them off, and you're like, oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, fall over. Need now. to learn balance, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, no, you want those balance bikes. Yeah. They're much better, and then they really learn how to ride a bike. So, what we're saying as, as, we, as we sort of approach, approach our time, that it, as parents, we need to put ourselves in a good position so that the kids see us and they pick up good behavior and good, good learnings vibes. from us. Yeah, good vibes <laughs> yes. from us. Don't be worrying too early about teaching them things like ABC and, and counting. Let them play and learn the social interactions, but get them on the French. Right. <laughs> so, no, just trust yourself as a parent. Honestly, okay. I think... Everybody is just too worried about what's going on and next door and whatever. Mm. Your child is going to be just fine. Don't say that because people won't read your book. Oh yes, <laughs> you, that's you're right. talking yourself out of sales here. <laughs> oh no. So read your read <laughs> Esther's <laughs> book first and then trust yourself afterwards. That's right. Actually, my book has lots of lessons and how to trust yourself and respect yourself, and it does it not just as you know zero to five parents, but mm. school and then your life and. Yep. Then industry and everything it sounds like it's one for me and rich to 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 buy and have on our shelves and then when the kids are a bit older do we then get into it no yeah. just read it it's, you'll see it's like one story after another okay. i tell all these stories about what my okay. children did and did not do 
Right. Well, if, my, if Ben ends up being... I mean, I'll be happy if Ben ends up stacking shelves as long as he's happy. But um, if he ends up being the CEO of YouTube, you know, I'd be very happy with that too. Yeah, give you a job. <laughs> great. I'll maybe next generation CEO. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, we, we have this I'm joke struggling. in our house. My, my wife was, says, like, I would like Jackson to be a doctor. And I said, I want him to work in artificial intelligence. She's like, and she's like, no, I want him to be a doctor. We have that. Well, uh, you know, probably the job that Jackson and Ben do hasn't even been invented yet. That's right. Well, yeah, that's actually, it, yeah. if you don't mind, I'll talk to Jackson and Ben and see what they want to do. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, well, there you go. There's, that, there's our first lesson, our yeah. final lesson for the podcast today, yes. Let's see what the boys want to do yeah. first. Esther, thanks very much for coming in. Yeah, it's, really it's, been, it's, been, it's been great. Yeah, very uh, interesting. And uh, sort of reassuring and uh, also slightly concerning as at the same time. <laughs> Most of the things we talk about are simultaneously reassuring and concerning. That seems I, to be I'm life very, as a parent. I'm very impressed with both of you. <laughs> Thank like, you. That's there, very there you go. And I'm, I hope that all the dads around, you know, in the UK follow you. Well, brilliant. We should have that as a tagline yeah. on, the, on the podcast. <laughs> I'm very impressed with both of you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's I'm the mum of the yeah. CEO yeah. of YouTube. I'm just going to tell my wife that I, I was told that today that you were very impressed. That, that's, that's my result for the day. Um, so be sure, um, be sure to impress Esther and buy her book, um, How to Raise Successful People, Simple Lessons for Radical Results. Um, so Esther Wojcicki which I was told how to pronounce earlier. Great job. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> uh, thanks again for coming on, Esther. Um, thanks for coming all the way from San Francisco to see us. Yeah, and uh, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast and share and tell your friends, tell your parents, tell your children. Um, tell anyone, really, frankly. Yeah, it's good. Thank you very much. <laughs> thanks a lot, guys. Bye. Thanks.